you turn to the scriptures with me, please? Turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, first of all. Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 1. It's great to see so many out this evening, this morning. The crowd was fantastic. Um, you just filled the place, and I was talking to some people, and considering the, the, the weather it's been, it was tremendous this morning, and another great crowd tonight, uh, considering, again, the dark and the weather. So the Lord bless you all. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 1, please. The words of the preacher, the son of David, King in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh. But the earth abideth forever. Keep your Bible open there. We're going to refer to it and other places as well in the book of Ecclesiastes especially. But let us bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your blessings upon us. We thank you, Father, for all that you have done and given to us. We thank you for every person, for every head and home that is represented We thank you for putting it into the hearts of your people to be with us here even again this evening. And so, Father, we pray that you would bless your people and encourage them. For the children who are away to practice, Father, we ask you, Lord, that you would encourage the children. And, Lord, that you would bless and help them there with the leaders and the teachers. And also, Father, we thank you for Amplified, the youth group, and for all the youth of our congregation. We pray in these days you would keep your hand upon them. Father, we, we do thank you, Lord, for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he's come and he bled and died for us at Calvary. We thank you tonight, Lord, we're coming to a living Savior, a risen Christ, a glorified Son, and we thank you, Lord, this evening that you're still upon your throne. And so we ask you, Lord, for the remaining moments of this evening as we divide this word, we pray that you would help this man and bless this people, all who are watching now live, whether it would be via YouTube or Facebook or other way. Lord, we pray, whether it's later, Lord, that your word would still have free course and that you'd bless those who are sick at home tonight, unable to attend, Lord, and that they, uh, Lord, we'd receive their portion of the blessing. So we pray now to settle us in your presence. And may thy word have its way. May thy Holy Spirit, may he move upon us from seat to seat and heart to heart. And if there is one or some in here who have not yet come to saving knowledge and faith in the Lord Jesus, we pray that they would be convicted in heart. And Lord, you would give them deciding grace. And Lord, that they might know your great love for them. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. The words 
of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. I think almost everyone, I think, believes and knows that this is Solomon. We believe it is. I believe it is. But there are some who would think, well, maybe it's another son, but we don't read of that. And Solomon is the one who was given wisdom from God when the Lord had asked him, what shall I give thee? And hence, Solomon, the son of David here, it is believed that this is written in his older age, when he has his gray hair, whenever he's sitting and he's older in frame of body, and he looks back on his life, he thinks about it, and this is a statement of his error. Notice this. This is a statement of his error and penance, as it were, toward God, repentance as he comes before God, writing the Ecclesiastes. The thing about it is, is some people think that when they read the book of Ecclesiastes and it says to eat and to drink and do all things and enjoy the works in the hands of your labor, uh, they tend to give it that it's a, a liberal thing that men can live how they like and do what they want, but they miss the whole point of the book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon's looking back at a life where he failed God and where he called Israel, caused Israel to sin. He failed God and he caused Israel to sin. Just briefly, if you will, turn with me to 1 Kings, please. 1 Kings chapter 11. This led to the separation of the tribes in the kingdom, to the northern and the southern kingdom. 1 Kings, please. And sin came in to the land. Chapter 11 and verse 1 says this. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye should not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Take note of this. The Lord said that, they, that Israelites were not to marry. Solomon being the king especially was not to marry any of the other um, peoples around about, not to come in unto them or bring them unto the nation. But Solomon loved them and his heart was turned away from God to their so-called gods. Notice what it says in verse 2. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives. 700 wives. Think about this. Princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. All of these unions with Solomon and all these foreign wives 
And God said, don't do it, for they will turn away your heart from me unto their gods, because your heart will be with them. Let us take note, brother, sister, friend tonight, young person, that we are not to marry into those, as it were, like the Hittites, the ungodly, the Moabites. They were from an ancestral line of Lot, by the way. Or as it were here, he married into uh, the, the other God-loving Egyptians, the unsaved. They turned away his heart, and he loved them more than he loved God. Now, there is a standard for you, for all of us. We must ask ourselves, do we love the Lord more than all others and all else? Because once we allow something that is against the word of the Lord, that is opposite to what God says, even as Solomon did, then we are proving to the Lord that our heart is somewhere else first and not toward him. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And hence, when he was older, he started to feel weaker. He started to feel his age, as it were, and who doesn't? Let's look again at the book of Ecclesiastes, please. Chapter 1. He calls himself the preacher. The preacher. This is believed to be right at the last days where he's realized, Lord, I haven't been what I should have been. And believe it or not, even though he wrote many of the Proverbs, here we'll find that he's, he's possibly looking at this point and he's realizing that it's the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. And what fear there would be for Solomon realizing that in his very old age, possibly at the end of his years, he's now looking back at the life that he has ruined and that he has wasted where he could have been somewhere else with God. Somewhere else in heart, somewhere else in mind. Serving the Lord with all of his heart. Glorifying God in the whole of the land. The king on the throne and the throne of Solomon and David is called the throne of Jehovah. What a blessing to be raised up in such high and as it were heavenly places to walk away and to serve other gods and other things. And hence we see here right at the very end he seems to be looking back at a life that was lived and that was wasted before God, and possibly knowing the fear of the Lord from his own very proverb. He's probably looking now and he's saying, soon I'm going to face him. The God who spoke to me and said, ask of me what you will and I'll give it. And I ask for wisdom. Brothers and sisters, what a blessing it is for us to be in Christ, to be saved. And to be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. To know that as children of God, that when we're saved by grace and when we by faith are washed in the blood of the Lamb as we speak of, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, what a blessing it is to know that even He who has ascended into glory 
our great high priest, yet he's the one who is in control of all others and all things and all else. Yet he rules from the highest heaven. And we are told that we are seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What a blessing. What an honor for the child of God. And yet many put him, just as Solomon, second or third or fourth or tenth or somewhere else in the priorities of the loves of our heart. Can I stop and pause for a second, child of God, and ask you to think and ponder this. At what position is he in your life? At what position is Christ in your life? Is he first? Did he not say in the book of Revelation all the things that the church of Ephesus had done? The risen Christ says, after looking at all of their, all of their endeavors for him, and he says, it's good, but nevertheless I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. One old man once said, one old preacher once said, it could mean because you have stopped loving me the way you did at the beginning. It's not what our life is like at times. It's not what this walk of faith is like. The newness of being saved and having your sins forgiven. And many years, maybe you're, you think your sins were little, or maybe they were more manifest like this man, and you know you've been forgiven awful lot. And oh, Jesus was your whole entire life and world. The very center of all that you were. And you panted after him as the heart pants after the water brooks. It's like your soul would wither and die if you did not experience his very felt and near presence again. The manifestation of him really in your heart living and walking and moving in you. And then sometimes down the road a little, we become a little bit bland and standoffish. We all do. And Christ becomes further down the list. This is not a condemnation by any means, but it's a question. Where is he? At what position? Is Christ in your life? Here's what this man says. And remember, the Scriptures are under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God shows him now. He, he calls himself the preacher. The term the preacher is some seven times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's the Hebrew word kohileth. Gives the idea of someone who gathers people together. It gives the idea of gathering sentences to know what to say to the people. It gives the idea of someone who would be a, a deep investigator. A deep investigator. And now, after all of this deep investigation of his own heart, 
by the Holy Spirit. He's being shown his life. And right at the end of it seems to be that he awakens again under the glories of Christ. He awakens again to the loveliness of the Lord Jesus. Oh, brother, sister, will you awaken again to his glories? Will you awaken your heart again? Ask the Holy Spirit, awaken me to the glories of Christ and to the beauty of him. And I'll tell you, when you fall in love with him, you'll view no other and you'll have none else. Listen to what it says, the preacher, the kohileth, means the teacher, the lecturer, one who brings together in order to gather sentences to after deep investigation. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Notice, he looks at and says, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He can't get away from this word, vanity. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, the, the word in the singular vanity is mentioned some 33 times. Vanities in the plural is mentioned four times. And the preacher can't get away from this the whole way through the book. And he says, you know, you can live your life and you can grow your, your grapes and you can make your wine and you can drink it until you're drunk and you can do all of that all you want and that's all people see but he says there's a God in heaven that one day we will stand before him that's the idea of the book of Ecclesiastes he's not saying don't enjoy life and living because let me tell you something friends there is no true and real living until you're in a right position and place with the Lord Jesus Christ Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Look what he says in verse 3. For what, for what profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? Hey, under the sun. That also, he repeats it. We're under the sun, aren't we? Well, we, we know the sun's there somewhere. It's always raining and cloudy, but we know it's there, don't we? It's the odd time it shows itself. But 27 times he mentions under the sun. You're under the sun, under the sun. And then later he talks about going down to the dust. Living life for Christ under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. And then it is go down to the dust. And the Spirit returns to God which give it, he says. In other words, yeah, one day we will stand before the Lord. But in verse 4, he says, One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. You see, the idea is that I thought about this. I just sat reading over it on Friday. And then I read over it yesterday. And I read over it early this morning. And I was thinking about it. And you know, I never met my great-grandfather. And I certainly don't know really past him who his father and grandfather and great-grandfather were. 
And if we do a family tree, we might get names and something about them, but we'll not really know them. One generation comes and one generation goes, and one generation comes and one generation goes. And after a couple of generations, what the, oh, what the writer is saying, what the preacher is telling us is, after a few generations, nobody remembers you. Nobody knows you. But the earth abides forever. And the generations keep going on. And he talks about the sun will come up and the sun will go down and all will continue on. But it's where when all have forgotten us who are then under the sun, when all who've forgotten us, generations down, now should Jesus tarry. When all have forgotten us, that is eternity where? Eternity where? And where will you spend eternity? And Christian, where will you stand with God? Those who have walked away and have not made their way back in repentance to the foot of the old rugged cross. Where? You see, if you let your eye run down, verse 12, it says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I give my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under the sun. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. Notice this. Even the king is, he's a king, he's everything. And because he's everything, he lacked in, he, he in his faith and his walk with God and now in his comforts. It keeps him from the presence of the Lord. And this is what he says. Even with the wisdom I've had, searching things out, trying to figure it out in my head and not believing in faith in my heart. And here he says that all things that are done under the sun, the sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. Notice, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun and behold all is vanity and vexation of spirit. This term vexation of spirit is another a term that is used throughout the Scripture some seven times. That's all he sees. Vaxation of spirit. Vaxation of spirit. Vaxation of spirit. Vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Vaxation of my spirit. When I try to figure it out, try to work it out, and I can't because God is eternal. When I go to the dust, I'll stand before God. And look at me now, he's saying. I've done all I wanted to do. What was the young people singing there? Bring your addictions. Bring, what's the words of that, Warren? Can you remember? Bring your addictions. Bring all your failures and so on. And society and the world and maybe somebody in here is, is bound with addiction and bound with fears and their failures and they, they feel they're, they're, they're lost and undone because, well, I'm not up to much, but what you're trying to do is to work everything out in your mind and your mind will fail and it's vexation of spirit. He says, it's a sore travail that God has given the sons of men. And hence we see here that he's saying it's all vanity. It means it's vapor. It's like a smoke. 
you know, you can't grasp. It gives the idea of, of a hand trying to grasp. You know, I can grasp this mic stand and this music stand, and I could grasp, and so can you with things. Uh, uh, and, but trying to grasp smoke, I'm grasping at the world. I'm grasping at the things of the world. I'm grasping at, at those, and they're, they're addicting me. It's taking over my mind, my thinking, my heart. It's wearing me out, wearing me down. It's vexation of spirit. It's sore travail. And the preacher here, and the preacher here, and the Christian in maybe you have come across and work or wherever, they tell you of the glories of Christ. Of the wonders and the splendor and the beauty and the majesty of the Lord Jesus. The risen Christ, the one who shed his blood and died for us. They say, he is the one who can help you. Listen, I was working my last job before I got saved because, well, it was my last legal job before I got saved. The other ones were illegal. But my last job before I got saved, I'll never forget it. And that I was addicted. I was depressed. I was in a bad state. It was a terrible way. And I remember I was driving a lorry and still half high. And I remember I got so down and depressed. I was at a beehive oil tank out the back of this big firm. And I was lifting up a tailgate of the lorry, spring-loaded, just had to do this, and it bounced again. And I just crumbled just because it didn't click in. That was enough for me. My life was over. Oh, mm. And I fell over the beehive tank like this. I thought nobody was about, and a man called Clark Abernathy came walking around the corner. He was the foreman. Kenny, don't call me Kenny. He's only one or two calls me Kenny. I don't like me. That's what he called me. Kenny, I didn't answer him. And he says, Are "You all right?" And I'm trying to get myself together, and I couldn't. I was just beat. He says, "What's wrong with your son?" He says, "Clark, I, I I can't do this anymore." He says, "Do what? Work?" I says, "No, live." It's too hard. It's too hard. Come over and he put his arm around me and he says, I want to tell you something. Okay, just help me. Just help me. I used to be an alcoholic. Okay, Clark. But Jesus saved me. Boy. I cursed that man up and down. Told him where he and his Jesus can go. There's the cure. Jesus is the cure. Do you know what? I'm saved 27 years today. Kept by the, praise, by, by the grace of God and his power. Saved 27 years today. Notice this. The preacher says, What profit hath a man of all his labor? Notice, which he taketh. Which he taketh. Mark 8 and 37 tells us, What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There's nothing we could have done or give. 
No church we could have went to. No denomination could have secured our salvation. None. Not even this place for your salvation. No, not here. Not this man. And hence he's looking back, this preacher's looking back. And he knows he's going to stand before God. He knows he's going to stand before God. And here's the thing. He doesn't know what day or hour he will leave under the sun. He doesn't know what day nor what hour he will leave under the sun. But this he knows. Someday he will. Sometime he will. And friend tonight, away from God, friend tonight, maybe never knew the Lord Jesus. Someday that you don't know. Sometime you will. You know, right through the scriptures, if you go to chapter 12, right at the end, the last chapter, he tells us all, and we always read it, and I'll be honest, I thought of this scripture, Susan, you uh, the, the children, are, the youth had asked me, could they sing and play tonight? And I said, yes, I agree to it. And this comes to my mind. First one, I think it's been preached all over the world as, uh, as a, a message to youth, but this is what I want you to see. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. I think many of us could just quote that off the cuff because it's so widely known. But let me tell you something about this. When he's telling us to remember, the youth, remember. The youth of the church, will you remember your creator? Remember him. And by the way, the word here for creator, uh, it gives the idea of someone who forms, who cuts, who fashions, who trims into shape. The one who formed you in your mother's womb, fashioned you, with sinews and bone. The one who had you come out of your mother's womb to live at this time. The one who has given you parents to grow up under. The one who has brought you to a saving knowledge if you know Christ. The one who's brought you here tonight, he's been fashioning you and forming you. He's the creator. And it says, remember now, if you're young, but remember he's old looking back. This is wisdom Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Notice, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Now the man is starting to see the error of his ways. Solomon here is looking back and saying, see all of that thing that I, those things that I ran after and I chased after and I loved and I lusted after. 700 wives and so forth. All the concubines and Solomon's saying, I have no pleasure in them. I have no pleasure in them. So from verse 2 of chapter 12 to verse 5, we have the effects of advancing age. The effects of, of advancing age. Maybe you're feeling the effects of the advancing age. I was just speaking to Alison yesterday about it. I was 
pulling this heavy, and that going to be a heavy load across the back. You know, when you're above at it, you think you're still in your 20s. And you grab it, and you pull it, and all the, the blood's near popping out my ears, my eyeballs. And I got it, and by the time I got to the end of the garden, I used to, used to be able to lift it nearly with one hand. I got to the end, I was like, <gasps> the effects of advancing age. But you can't do what you used to do, and you're not what you used to be in strength. And, and there's almost parabolic form. I'm just going to break it down slightly before we round the meeting up tonight. But this is at the end of this man's life, at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. This is his repentance and penitence toward God, if you want. This is him coming and saying, Lord, I'm sorry. How did I get this right? Maybe you've been away from God and you say, how did I get this right? This is how you get it right. You repent. You turn away from the other things and turn back to God. And listen, it's still here. She that will come unto him, he'll no ways cast you out. This man is saying here, I have some effects of advancing years. Let me just break this down for you. You read it and you think, it's just he's talking about just different things in the earth of life. But really, it's like parabolic in his own life. His own body, his own spiritual walk. For example, in verse 2, while the sun or the light or the moon or the stars shall not be darkened nor the clouds return after the rain. Now he's, he's talking about his darker days now. He's coming to, as it were, the end of his time. Could be the last time he sees the sun rise. Or the sun go down, or the moon come out. Or the stars in the sky. The amount of people I've known who have had terrible news, bad news, of, uh, and given a, a a space, a, a length of time to live. And you know what they say? They start to appreciate everything that they didn't appreciate for years. Even to feel the wind on their face, they appreciate it. And this man, Solomon, he's starting to think like this, sees himself going down older in years and realizes, someday I'm standing before him. Lord, I, I, I'm coming to you. It might be the last day of the light or the moon or the stars. It might be that I'll see even the darkened clouds. Maybe the last time you get to walk home in the rain. The last time you get to come to church in the rain or ever. So let's look at verse 3. Let me get a drink. I'm going to break this down a little line at a time as we close this. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble. Now the house, he's speaking of his body. He's speaking of his body. Some commentators think it means he's got weaker in legs and he's got weaker in his arms. His house. You might say, well, how do they get this? Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians, pardon me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Listen to what Paul says in verse 1. 
For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon. Notice that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Paul's saying, this house, this tabernacle is my body. That which you look at in the mirror, brothers and sisters, in the morning. That which you look at, and if you're like me, you look in the mirror in the morning, you go, whoa, is that really me? Who's that man with the gray hair at the sides? Well, at the sides, you notice that. At the sides, who is that man? He is that man with the wrinkles in the face. And how did he? How did that man get that age? Do you ever look at a photograph of yourself? You go, how did he get that age? Do you ever see someone you went to school with? And you think, boy, they've got off a load looking. And then you realize you're the same. They're thinking not of you. It's the house, the tabernacle. It's the weakening of it of the years. And Paul speaks about the groaning that he might be clothed. And if you were to turn, you can write it down to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says that this mortal must put on immortality. This corruptible must put on incorruption. Speaking of the resurrection and the glorification of the saints. So the house, the weakness of the body, of the arms and the hands. Notice verse 3 of Ecclesiastes 12. And the strong men that by themselves, so here we have the body getting weaker, and the grinder cease. You know what that is? That's your nicers. That's your nicers. Who's all got their own teeth? I'm putting my hand up and I haven't got all my own. <laughs> I have a few bars missing on the grate here. It's not whenever you have gaps in your teeth. It's when you have teeth in your gaps. That's when you start to worry. The grinder seat. You know, your teeth are wore out and your teeth are wore down. This man's looking back. He's going, my teeth gone. I used to be young and be able to chew anything I wanted. Because they are few. And those that look out of the windows be darkened. You know what he's speaking of here? His eyesight. My eyes are dimmed, I cannot see. See, if I take my glasses off, I, I can see figures and colors and blurred faces, but already I feel dizzy. Can't see. They're like binoculars, like welding goggles sometimes, these things. I couldn't read even my giant print Bible without them. Hardly read my jam print Bible with them. So he's speaking of the, the windows of the soul, the eyes. Verse 4, and the doors shall be shut in the streets, and when the sound of the grinding is low. Notice the sound of the grinding now. You know what he's speaking about? Your ears, your hearing. See, everybody thinks this is all about the youth. He's saying, remember. 
thy creator in the days of thy youth. And the young people, if you would only remember, I pray you will and you do. But he's speaking to those who have done some years, traveled the road, who are now further down the line. And he's saying, listen, your body's getting weaker in all aspects and in all ways. And you and I do not know when God will call time. Be ready to meet the Lord. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel, said Amos. And then it says, And he shall rise up at the voice of the bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. (laughs) See, he shall rise up the voice of the bird. You know what it means? You start getting up earlier when you get older, don't you? You don't sleep the same. Used to be when you're a teenager, you slept. You could sleep all day and get up nearly in the evening and go back to bed again. You go to bed and you get up early. You go to bed and you can't really sleep. You don't need the sleep you used to have. Because you get to be dozing in the afternoon, tell the truth, don't you? You get to be snooze, you get your head down. But nevertheless, older. This is what the this is what he's saying. And he's looking at creation as if that's like my body. That's like me getting ready before I go to meet the Lord. And and the thing about this is, is that all of us can see this out there. All of us can see it in creation. It's the gospel in the very creative powers of the great creator God who has fashioned us and fashioned all other things. Is it any wonder that people want to say it all happened from a big bang? Because it removes the very vision of the glorious power and majesty and glorious gospel of Christ. So the, he shall rise up at the voice of the birds. That's sleep or lack of or less sleep needed. And music shall be brought low. I love the way the Spirit of God has moved in this. You ever get, you're in the car, I don't really listen to music. Sometimes the odd song of worship or whatever, but I don't really listen to music. I love worship now here. Don't get me wrong. But you know the song that the young people maybe listen to or comes on their radio and you go, I was wondering what was annoying me. Turn that off. Like all them songs sound the same. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an 80s child. I was in the teens and early 20s. And to me then, there was nothing like the music of the 80s. But I remember my old late dad saying to me, son, that music's dreadful. That's terrible music. There's nothing to say. And now I'm like my dad. I see that music. Oh, see, in my day, you could even work out, make out what they were singing. You were able to make out what they were singing, and they all didn't sound the same. That's what the Spirit of God's saying. This is something for you and I to realize. We're a step closer, a step nearer. God is changing us. He's been changing you, brother, and you, sister, from the inside out, even to realize and to acknowledge, even the very music is different to you. You don't want it anymore. Can you see this? This is what he's saying. And then he says in verse 5, Also when they shall be afraid of that which is high, 
and fears shall be in the way. Do you know what he's meaning here? You're not going to be as confident as doing things which you used to do. Many older people, and they're afraid at home because of their security reasons, where years ago you wouldn't have thought about it. Maybe afraid of the dark of if you trip and fall, you don't bounce the way you used to. I certainly don't. And I'm not as old as some of the other lads in here. <laughs> but, but there's more behind me than there is in front of me. He's saying that some people, when they're older, they're, they're afraid to drive in the dark. So that type of thing, the Spirit of God is laying it on Solomon for his day. And he's saying, look here. Look here. Get right with me. Be prepared to meet me. Verse 5 continues on. And the almond tree shall flourish. I looked this up. And I believe this gives the idea of your hair will grow gray. Your hair will grow gray. The whore hair is the gray hair. Your hair grows gray. That flourishes in you instead. Some have flourished that much, they've shed their leaves. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave when you're all singing because I think I'll get a kick in when I leave the door here. I think I'm going to get a beating when I go out. Remember, we're all brethren, won't you? Greet one another with a holy kiss now. That's about the height of it. Hey, hands and no man suddenly. Do you see this? The Holy Spirit is saying this. This is what the, I'm showing you even in the very creative powers that I have. And this will die and it regenerates again, but you will die in its eternity. Where? Will you rise in the resurrection? Will your house be changed? That is your body, to the glorious body at the first resurrection? Or will your house be demolished and only risen for the, the lake of fire judgment seat? And then he says, and the grasshopper shall, grasshopper shall be a burden. And in other words, someone goes out to work and they labor and they come home and they're tired and so on. And you used to be able to do that, but when you get older, you, you just can't do it anymore. You can't work the way you used to work. It becomes a burden. You have a lack of strength and a lack of energy. You become weak. This is the last one of these. And desire shall fail. Desire shall fail. Now, this word is a difficult word to many of the translators. 
but most would agree that it speaks about what was known as, I think it's pronounced caper or caper, berry. And they used to crush the caper or the caper berry, and it was an aphrodisiac. It stimulated them. They used it for stimulation. And the Holy Spirit saying, even that which you use for desire of stimulation will not work anymore. And why? Because man goeth to his long home. Long home. Would you say long home? Long home. See the word long? It's the Hebrew word olam. And olam is another word for eternity. Eternity. His long home. And so he said all these things and one day you're gone and you're away to your long home. You're into eternity. Let me just read you a wee verse. And it's in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Remember talking about you strive to try and figure it all out rather than believe God? Well, see the word here. He hath set the world, W-O-R-L-D. The word world there is the same word for long as in long home, olam. He has set eternity in the hearts of men. We try and figure it out. We try and fill it with the world, with going with society. We try and fill it with some with alcohol, some with drugs. We try and fill it with gambling, or we try and fill it with sexual addictions and, and fornication and different relationships and, and night outs with night outs with. Uh, uh, partying it up and so forth and so forth and we're empty at the end of it all you see as the preacher said vanity well, vanity is all is vanity vanity of vanities saith the preacher all is vanity it's like trying to grasp at smoke and it's gone you grasp at the smoke and you don't have a handful of it And so I'll close with this. Verse 7 says, Then shall the dust return to the earth. That's the house. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return to God who gave it. Gave it. And then he says, Vanity of vanities. He says it over and over again, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Verse 11. Let us hear the conclusion. The word conclusion is a wee word called soki. And it means, let's hear the end of it. What's the end of this? 
What's the end for tonight? What is the end of this message? What is the end of life? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. You ready? Fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. But I fail. I fail. Commandment keeping doesn't save. You're 100% right, it doesn't. But it points out that you're wrong, points out where your sin is, and it brings us on to Christ. It shows us our need, because we all think we're good. Everybody thinks they're, they're going to be all going, hallelujah, happy days, going to glory, even though they lived like a devil all their lives. Sure, God's going to let everybody in. Or because I'm affiliated to a certain church or I've done some sort of certain ritual or I've been to a confirmation or I've been dedicated as a baby or I've had sprinkling done of me. And we all think, yes, sure, we're all going to be there. Isn't that right? And the the answer is no, because the commandments, the ten moral commandments, shows us our sin. And it makes us realize, Lord, how can I be saved? What must I do to be saved? And the law was our schoolmaster to point us on to Christ, Paul says. Here's how you're saved. Point you on to the Lord Jesus Christ. The schoolmaster is the piatagogos. The piatagogos is the big word that really gives the idea of someone rearing a child for a rich family. They taught them how to walk and how to talk and etiquette and what to do proper. When they went wrong, they had the power to chastise. Say, that's wrong. This is the way walking in all their days as they're growing up. And it's not written in two tables of stone, but rather within the heart. That's the P.I. to Gogos. That's the schoolmaster. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. And the law says, no, no, you're sinning here. You're sinning there. That's wrong. That's not right. The Holy Spirit now living in our hearts keeps us on the straight and narrow. Verse 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment and with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Paul tells us 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, that we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the believer. That's the believer. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11 tells us. John writes, And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of the books that were written therein. Then he talks about the sea give up their dead and so forth. And by the end of it, he says, there's a lake of fire, and those who are not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. Where's your long home? A lake of fire? Or a heavenly mansion. Where's your long home? What about you, believer, when you stand before God and you've walked away from Him? You've walked away from Christ. Where will you be? Ashamed before Him? I remember praying one time in a it was down in Whitewell, a prayer meeting. It was a big prayer meeting, we're all praying, and someone stood up and says, Lord, there'll be many beamers at the beamer seat. 
That's the judgment seat of Christ. Ashamed before him. I trust that you're saved and serving. May God bless his word to all of our hearts this evening. For Jesus' name's sake.